Good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. I want to welcome you today. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Tis the season, right? I have a good feeling about this crowd today. You guys are good. Last crowd, was th- they had too much turkey. They were still kind of sleepy. This is good. This is good. I began my festivities last week, and it's about 40 days of eating, right? Mm, can I get a witness? Those of you that are skinny people in the room, you just get on my nerves. Don't even talk to me. Look at me. You, you do not understand my pain. And uh, I'll join you at the gym at the first of next month, right? Actually, my new philosophy has been if I, uh, as long as I work out, I can eat anything I want. It's not really working well for me, but it makes me feel better about myself. And so, anyhow, we were at home in northeast Arkansas, just outside of Memphis, Tennessee, last uh, weekend uh, with family. and had a great, great time going down and, and being there with them. And, uh, oh, my goodness, sweet potato casserole, green bean casserole, broccoli rice casserole, homemade yeast rolls. Sweet potato casserole, I already say that once. Yeah, chicken and dressing, ham, turkey. You like turkey, that's you, right? Me too, man. I like it all. Tastes like chicken. Everything tastes like chicken. So it was good. So uh, I, you and I, we can preach this message together, can't we? I'm telling you, we're going to have a good time today. So, good. So everybody had a good Thanksgiving, and we're glad to have you today. And this weekend, I'm going to do something a little bit different. It's what we kind of, what I call a standalone message. Most of my preaching is in series, and it kind of keeps me focused. It kind of keeps us focused. Uh, it helps me really deliver some systematic theology of God's Word in a, in a, in a good fashion. But there are times throughout the calendar that I have these weekends where I can just really preach from the overflow. See, as a pastor, um, I am preaching. Um, I read God's Word as a Christ follower just for my daily spiritual growth, just like you do. But then also, I, I also read God's word in order to say, God, what are you saying to the church? And what do you want me to, com- to, co- to convey and to communicate? And uh, that's the reason why sometimes if you've ever wondered how can pastors uh, let their relationship with Christ grow old or grow cold. It's because if you're not careful in ministry, the Bible just becomes another work tool that you would use. Like a carpenter would use a hammer. Uh, or a surgeon will use a scalpel. The pastor uses God's word. And, and you don't feed on it personally. So I have a personal growth plan that I go throughout each year, and it's different every year. And this past year, I began to read the Bible through um, on this plan in the, the message translation or transliteration. It's actually like a paraphrase. And so um, and one of those passages of Scripture that I had read a gazillion times, the greatest sermon preached in Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, if you want to turn there, um, God really spoke some things to me, just for me. And so as I was going through, and during, during this time of the year, kind of, it's what I call the warm, fuzzy time of the year for me. From Thanksgiving to the first of the year, I'm just like, it's the most wonderful time of the year. I'm not really worth a whole lot. My dad said I'm not worth shooting this time of the year because it's just, I just, I'm like, tis the season. Let it snow. The weather outside is frightful. We're going to eat inside because it's going to be delightful. I mean, it's just, it's that time of the year. And, but I also become very reflective because I reflect back over the last 12 months, the last 11 months of goals that I had set out at the beginning of the year and, and, and things that we wanted to accomplish. I began to become very reflective about the church, very, very reflective about my family, my relationships, and just things, and, and I'm going to the, the next year. And this was something that, honestly, in 2010, I'm actually probably going to do about a five- or six-week series on today's message. Um, but it was something that really spoke to me that I really just thought, this is a good word for this season. 
And, and what I'm talking about today are the blessings of God. Let me set this up and explain this. Growing up in church, you hear about the miracles of God. When you read Scripture, you read about the miracles of God. And if you're not careful, when you read Scripture, it's hard to, it's hard to find a page, or at least two or three pages, where there aren't miracles and signs and wonders that takes place. And when we, when we read Scripture, we think, well, dude, man, there was like three miracles on this, on this you know, the left hand, the right hand side of the page. And so... That should be happening in my life. And then all of a sudden, you began to almost become spiritually depressed because you don't see the miraculous happening. Or God doesn't happen fast enough. Or it doesn't occur the way you want it to. And what happens with that is that uh, you, we, we, we forget context and realize that sometimes these miracles, these people, God didn't really show up in the miraculous until 80 years into their life. Like Moses. When Moses is, is, is saying, let my people go and they read Exodus, he was 80 years of age. It's a lot of time between birth and 80 years of age with no great miracles happening in your life. Um, when, we, uh, when, when, when you read about Noah and the ark, you just think, great, Noah built this ark. He saved his entire family. But what you forget to realize, I think it's Genesis 6 and 7 or 7 and 8. I was reading it this week. Where Noah was on the ark for like a year and 17 days. Folks. Some of you had a hard time being with your in-laws and outlaws for three last weekend. Could you imagine being with the in-laws and the outlaws and every critter on the face of the planet for for a year and 17 days? And what was he waiting on? For the water to dry up. You know what it's like in March? We're waiting for the snow to go away. You know that feeling that we have? Right? Couldn't you imagine that for a year and 17 days? That's just a lot of time. And we read that and we go, well, the uh, 40 days and 40 nights, the rain started dropping. It rained so hard that the water stopped dropping. And we, we, we read it and we think, well, that's what, oh, Lord, didn't it rain? And we read it and then we just think, well, it dried up. And two weeks later, he was, you know, no, it was a year and 17 days on a, we're not talking about a Royal Caribbean. This isn't the navigator of the seas. This isn't running trails and, and buffets on every level. This is a just and what happens is, is we get, we love the supernatural. We love the miraculous. And that's great. But what I really want to focus on is Jesus says there is a way to live. Not that you're never going to need the supernatural or the miraculous, but there's a way to live in the sweet spot of life and a blessed life that you can have on this planet if you're willing to apply some disciplines in your life. And if you're willing to apply those disciplines in your life, you're going to find yourself uh, in less of a need for a weekly miracle, and you're going to find yourself more in the sweet spot of life. And so this passage challenged me, and I hope, and, I, and I'm reflecting on this passage at year end, and I'm hoping that today this will help you because again, we like the miraculous, we like the supernatural. It's it's who we are, and when you read scripture, when you see miracles and signs and wonders, it always gets people's attention. But understand, it, that's typically, especially in the gospels, that's what it was used for. It was an attention giver getter in order to be able to communicate the truth of God's word. And that's exactly what happens here. Matthew chapter 4, the end, of the, the end of the chapter, Jesus begins to do miracles, signs, and wonders. And then the Bible picks up in Matthew chapter 5. Let's begin reading in verse 1 and, and verse 2. And when Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, why? Because of the miracles, signs, and wonders he had done. He climbed onto a hillside. And those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. 
And arriving at a quiet place away from the crowd, he sat down and taught his climbing companions, and this is what he said. Now, I want to stop right there. I want you to understand, the miracles, signs, and wonders are always going to draw people. That's great. That's how we're created. But there's a place in God that goes beyond miracles. There's a place in God that goes beyond the miraculous. There's a place in God that goes beyond the supernatural. It's called the blessed life. And what Jesus said is, look, there's the crowd here. That's great. But at the end of the day, here's what I want to do. I'm going to move away from the crowd. Very interesting to me. Because Jesus says, look, I'm not just gonna, I'm not gonna hang out with the crowd. We're drawn to a crowd. We, we, especially we preachers, man. We we love a crowd and we we're drawn. Jesus, whenever there was a crowd, he would watch, he would teach, but he would begin to pull away from. And here's what he did. Every time he pulled away from, there was a uh, uh, there was a um, a remnant, there was a, a small group of people that would follow him. And in this particular setting, in order to teach these truths and these principles, he begins to push away from the crowd, and he begins to climb this mountain. Now, what's interesting to me is that the crowd could have followed him. He didn't like, this wasn't like a Star Trek moment where he was here, and then all of a sudden he was transported to the top of the mountain. He began to climb the mountain. But there were only, the Bible says, the committed that were willing to make the climb with him. I understand that probably 80% of the people that hear this message this weekend, it's going to go in one ear and out the other. But I'm preaching it for the 20% of the people, the climbers in the room, the committed in the room, that are Christ followers that said, I want to move beyond the, the, the sensational. I want to move beyond the supernatural. I, I, I want to move into this sweet spot called the blessed life, that there's a way that I can live this life in God, that I can live life at the highest octane, at the highest ability that God's called me to live life, to, 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 to love my family and to do what he's called me to do and to live this life, not just spiritually speaking, but in all, in all parameters of my life to live this life the way he's called me to live it. And Jesus begins to make his way up the mountain. And the hardest thing for me to understand as a pastor, and honestly, when I get to heaven, one of my Starbucks moments that I want to have with Christ as we sit down and we drink a cup of coffee because I believe Jesus will drink Starbucks too, and, and we drink this cup, it's a joke, it's really, it's okay, <laughs> is why does everybody not want to follow See, I'm, I'm of the mindset that I don't, have to, I don't have to be who you are to know. I, I, I don't have to. Here's what I have to do. If I'm around people that are great, I want to know how you think. Because if I can figure out how you think, I can do what you do. And business. Uh, the, the, the great thing about reading like Jim Collins or, 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 or Welch or anybody you want to read, any, it's, 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 it's getting to understand how these great minds think. Because if you can understand how they think, you can do what they do. It's very simple. The, the hard part is asking the right question to get the right information in order, in order to figure out what they think. And so Jesus gives an opportunity here. He's about to just open up his mind and give them these transforming truths. But not everybody wants to take the journey. I mean, I'm excited as I go in 2010. I, I have some, some, some travel dates that are set up, and I, I've got an opportunity to have some meeting with some leading pastors in the country, and I've got invited to a few things that I'm just totally stoked about. And, and, and I'm already beginning to, to take my legal pad and write questions and write these things because I don't need to talk. I want to hear because if I can figure out how they think, then I can, can try to accomplish some things that God's put in my heart to accomplish. And Jesus gives these opportunities to these people, but not everybody wants to go. And why is that? Because not everybody's willing to make, to, to be committed to take the climb. 
So I hope, my prayer for you this season as your pastor is that you're willing to move beyond this this, uh, sensational, um, entry-level, fringe, crowd level of Christianity and to begin to take a journey and to begin to say, I want all that God has for me. And, and, And it's not that the miraculous isn't part of God, but there's so much more to God than just what you see on Sunday. There's so much more to God than what you see in a miracle or sign and wonder. There's so much more to living, and there's a better way to live. And Jesus begins to make this climb, and only a few people follow. They were his climbing companions. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to take the climb. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to be committed. If you're going to follow Jesus, listen, it's going to be lonely sometimes because you're going to leave the crowd and ascend the mountain. Because it's only on the mountain that God begins to speak. It's only on those places where you're away from other people, you're away from the crowd, you're away from other things, and God begins to show up in your life. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you go, man, I feel so out here. Listen, you're a prime candidate for God to begin to speak. Because does he speak in a loud voice? Yes. Does he speak through miracles, signs, and wonders? Sure. But the greatest way he speaks is, the Bible says, through that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. And the power that's in that is that Christ lives in you as a Christ follower. So he's there. And the Bible says that Jesus says of himself that my sheep know the voice of the shepherd. And so Jesus begins to pull away and sets this thing up. And he gives these keys to live in the blessed life, to move beyond the miraculous, to move beyond the entry, to live this life. And here's what he says. First of all, you've got to come to the end of yourself. Now, your version of the Bible may say poor in spirit. But the message, this transliteration puts it like this in verse 3. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and more and of his rule. Verse 4, you're blessed when you feel that you've lost what's most dear to you. Because only then can you be embraced by the one who's actually most dear to you. See, we may not understand poor in spirit, but I think everybody in this room understands end of my rope. And if you're at the end of your rope today, can I just tell you, you're probably at the greatest moment for God to show up and begin to work his blessings in your life. Because it's only till we come to the end of ourselves that God really shows up in our lives. See, God, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. God's not going to push on you. God's not going to make you. God's not going to try to control you. It's up to you. And if you're still full of I, me, and my, and and I'm a self-made this, and I'm a self-made that, and I can do this, and I do that. If you still dichotomize your life, go, well, I put God first on Sunday, but on Monday morning, it's all about me in that board meeting. On Monday morning, it's all about what I'm doing with my clients. On, on Monday morning, it's all about, then you haven't come to the end of you. God is God in your spiritual life, but he's not God in your day-to-day life. And Jesus says, look, you come to the end of you. Because you know what? We all kind of think we're a little better than what we are. Come on. I mean, I look in the mirror and I think, man, I'm skinnier. I'm skinnier than what the scales say. I'm not that. We all do. We all think we're a little smarter. Come on. No, I know it's church, but it's just us. Don't lie. Don't lie to yourself if we just oh, got it all together. And then even if we know it, look, even if like our marriage stinks, we say, well, at least I'm better than so-and-so. And we, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's like we don't have to be good but as long as we're better than somebody else. I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you, right? <laughs> Some of you will catch that about 2 o'clock. Yeah. The reality is, is Jesus says, look, you got to come to the end of you. Take off the mask. 
Lay down your pride. Forget what people think about you. Forget your image. Just lay it all down, palms up. And that's when you're going to find what's most dear. The second thing he tells us is, is, is that you've got to become content with yourself. You've got to become content with yourself. Your, your version of the Bible may say meek. We don't understand meek, but we understand contentment, or at least the concept of it. Verse 5, he says, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. I'm going to read that again. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself the proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Mm, that's good. I mean, if that don't stir your spoon, don't fell out your bowl. If that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. I mean, that, that's powerful. You find yourself the proud owner of everything that can't be bought. Because we as Americans think we can buy these things. He, commercialization. You're told that if you have a big red bow on a shiny new Lexus, that Christmas will be wonderful. And if you want to give me one, I probably have a pretty good Christmas. Right? It's the season. Fa la 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 la. Right? I mean, we, we, right? But, but the problem is that doesn't solve your problems. You're showing, you're, if, if you get one for her and one for him, and big red bow and Lexus, your marriage is going to be great. Well, yeah, you may be happy that day, but the problems that you've got, his issues, her issues, they're not going away because of a new Lexus. And heated seats and remote start. That may help, but it ain't going to change it. We think that we can, we, can, we can put ourselves into a better place for our kids if we just have a different address. Or, or we have a different this or a different that. And listen, there's nothing wrong with things. But there's something terribly wrong when things have you. That's the issue. Materialism isn't an amount. Materialism is an attitude of the heart. I know people that don't. They don't have anything, and they're very materialistic people because they're constantly obsessed with what everybody else has. And they don't have, really have anything, but they're completely obsessed with it because they don't have contentment in themselves. They don't have contentment with where they are. And, and you can't buy contentment. You cannot achieve a contentment. Listen to me, businessman, businesswoman. You cannot come to a utopia of contentment that you achieve on the corporate ladder. It's not there. It's a myth. It's a legend. It doesn't exist. Because wherever you are, there you are. And the same issues and the same demons and the same frustrations that attack you and plague you at this level are going to attack you and plague you at that level. It's just going to frustrate you that you spent all this time, energy, and money getting there only to find out that you feel the same way that you did here. The only way that you have contentment is when you become content with who you are. When you decide that you're going to run your race. Not your brother's race, not your sister's race, not your parents' race, not, not your spouse's race, not your kid's race, your race. God has wonderfully created you to be who you are and where you are. And you've got to learn how to bloom where you're planted. Some of you don't like where you live, but you're never going to move beyond where you are to get where you want to go until you're content with where you are today. Now, you can get mad at me. You can get upset with me. You can think I'm crazy. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you the truth, and you'll find it out the hard way. That, that Jesus says, when you really want to live this blessed life, you've got to become content with who you are. And for those of you that are type A like me, that's a hard thing to do. 
and there's a fine line because, because you can call it ambition, and there's nothing wrong with ambition. And the Bible says in Proverbs that a workman's, uh, uh, his appetite works for him. But there's a fine line between that and not being content with who you are. And enjoy, I'm just, for me, it's living life in the moment. Because I live life in the future. My brain, I'm always thinking ahead. I'm always looking ahead. I'm always planning ahead. I'm always, okay, here's the next thing. Here's the next thing. Here's the next thing. That's just the way I operate. I'm constantly processing that way. But the reality is, is that I rob myself of the here and now. And when I do that, what I'm actually doing is being discontent with where I am and trying to find contentment with where I want to be. And I never live life in the moment. And I don't enjoy what I have today. And I don't enjoy what happens. And here's what happens. You look at the, at the pictures on the wall of your kids and you realize, I don't even remember when they were that little. How did this happen this fast? Because life, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3, is like a vapor. It's fleeting. And you, Jesus said, if you want to be blessed, you've got to be content with who you are. Quit trying to run somebody else's race. Quit trying to keep up with the Joneses. Quit trying to keep up with whatever. Do whatever you have to do to minimize your life, but become content with who you are. In that moment, you become a proud owner of everything that can't be bought. He goes on to say the next thing is to have a hunger for God. Are you hungry for God? Do you have a hunger for God? Verse 6 says that you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. For he's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever, ever eat. How? Verse 8 says, because you're blessed when you get the inside world, your heart and your mind, and you put them right, then you can see God in the outside world. I want to talk about this just for a moment, about our hunger for God. Because this is something that I, I think really as Christians especially, we, we got to make sure we get this right. Because hunger for God, you, you, well, how do I have a hunger for God? You have a hunger for God by having spiritual disciplines in your life, like praying and reading the Word. And, and listen, what I'm talking to you about is meat and potatoes. There's nothing sensational about it. That's the reason why Jesus didn't talk to the crowd about it. You know why? If he'd have stayed there and talked to the crowd? Because 80% of them would have walked off and left, went, I don't want that. I want to see him open the blind eyes again and make the lame to walk. But those climbers, those committed, they were the ones that said, here, you tell us what we need to do. You tell us the keys to life. You tell us how to live this, this John 10, 10 life to the full. And that's what we want to do. And Jesus said, if you want to really be full, then you've got to be hungry. If you really want to be fulfilled, then you've got to have this insatiable appetite for the things of God. And what does that mean? That means that every day I'm reading God's word, whether I feel it or I don't. Because can I tell you, this Christian walk is not about a feeling, it's about faith. And many times you won't feel it. Can I tell you there are times where I read this Bible and there are seasons, months that I go through that I get nothing out of what I'm reading in in the natural. Now you can go, oh man, I can't believe he's saying that. I'm telling you. And if you haven't ever felt that, it's because you hadn't read it long enough. Hmm, did I just say that? I think I did. He went there, Margaret. I think he did. Because the reality is, is all you had is this is a Sunday morning cake Christianity, this, this, this supernatural, spectacular ah, type of a moment with God. And I'm telling you, when you walk it out day in and day out, you talk to people that, that, that have been walking this life out for, very, for, for, for a long enough time, you find there are seasons that you go through that are desert seasons. You find out there are seasons where you're dry. There are seasons where God doesn't seem like he speaks. There are seasons where you feel like your ceilings bounce off the prayer. What do you do in those times? And those times is when you have to be tenacious. And those times is when you have to just, you ha- you have to just practice sheer discipline. Why? Because it's like this. After I have eaten till I can eat no more, 
In January the 4th, I think is Monday morning, that's when, man, my focus will become laser. And I will be there. That gym will be so parked. I have to park down the street and I'll walk in there with the eye of the tiger, right, with my Rocky Balboa going on my iPod. Dun, 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 dun. Thinking, I'm, it's on now like Donkey Kong. And, and I'm going to get on that treadmill. I'm going to run for three minutes and I'm going to stop. <laughs> I'll say, well, I'm, I thought I was a little bit more in shape than that. Right? But I'm going to feel good for the first couple of days because of the fact there's a mental thing that's going on. I'm so full. I'm actually eating right. My, my, I'm actually comfortable because during that time of the year, you know, you, you wear big sweaters because you can't get your pants together unless you're wearing Sansa belts. <laughs> Don't point fingers right now. That's not right. Right? Unless you got elastic in the waist. Come on. You know what I'm talking about? Because we have tis the sea. And, and the reality is in that moment... I'm not just going to drop the weight. I, I wish God would say, Aaron, just hang on to your pants right now because I'm fixing to take off 40. <laughs> Hallelujah. Dude, I want to be in that prayer line. Amen. Glory to God. Just pray for me right now. Right? Again, we love the supernatural. And if I told you and I showed you that would happen, you'd line up. Not you skinny people. We don't like you. But all the rest of us. <laughs> But the reality is, if I tell you, you can achieve the exact same thing, but it's going to be discipline, and you're not going to feel it, and it's going to be day in and day out doing the right thing, you can get to the exact same place. Nobody really wants to show up for that. Because we like watching The Biggest Loser, right, while we're eating our Robert's ice cream and having fun, yuns, offsetting it with a Diet Coke. Come on with me. And when the guy on The Biggest Loser, he's been working out all week and he, he actually gains weight, you go, I know how he feels. <laughs> it's the same way with spiritual disciplines. You don't see it at first. And there are times where the scales, it just seems like nothing's going and nothing's changing and whatever. Then all of a sudden, boom, it happens. And you hit these plateaus and then, boom, you work through that plateau. And then, boom, and I'm talking like I'm living this. But, but the reality is that's what happens with the spiritual thing. And that's what he's talking about. Do you hunger for God? Do you really hunger for God? Because, see, here's the deal. Was in church, being raised in church, here's what I was taught. I was taught that Sunday was like the, the, the filling station. My grandmother would say, we're going to go to the filling station. You're going to get on the spout where the glory comes out. And we'd go to church, and we'd just get tanked up on Jesus. I mean, we would shout, and we would hoop and holler, and we would do all of this. And people, we'd have altar time and prayer time and read the Bible time and have Sunday school time. And then we'd go eat, praise God. And then we would come back again, right? And we would have the choir rehearsal at 4 o'clock, and everybody would be, hallelujah. And, and choir rehearsal. And then Sunday night, I kid you not, growing up at church for me, Sunday night, we would have church. It, it would be like two-hour altar times. I'd fall asleep on the pew. Until somebody got their shout on, then that was fun to watch. When sisters, whoo, they get going, boy, it was like, Boston, wake up. It's going to be good now. And so, right, you dropped your Etch-A-Sketch at that point, and then you're watching, you know. And, and we were taught, now, you got to be back on Wednesday night because the devil's going to be after you on Monday. He's going to be after you on Tuesday. All day Wednesday. But on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we're going to have a family night. We have a prayer meeting. We're going to open the word. Come on, you know I'm telling the truth. Some of you. Some of you are raising this, and some of you are going, I have no idea what he's talking about. You are blessed because the rest of us, it was like that. And then, then, then it was like, okay, you can do it. And it was like coach time. You can do it. 
You just got to get through the devil on Friday night and Saturday night, and you'll be here at church on Sunday. And if you can't make it through on Saturday night, we're going to have a prayer meeting. You can run to the altar. Come on, grab a hold of the horns of the altar and the Lord. But we were taught that's what you do. And the problem with that is that your spiritual sustenance comes from your weekend corporate experience, and that's not biblical. And we live like that, and we wonder why we fail on Saturday night and why we fall on Friday night and why we don't live it out on Tuesday morning and why Thursday afternoon we just lose our salvation on the expressway. I'll tell you why. Because Jesus Christ said, yeah, some of you fall on that. <laughs> Jesus Christ said, when you feed on this word and you have a hunger for God, that only this book and spending time with him will fulfill. God will show up in your life. Because sometimes we go, whoa, 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 I got a question. Why do we not see miracle signs and wonders in church when we come together? Why is the power of God not as strong as what we think it might have been years ago? I'll tell you why. Because my grandmother's generation were people that prayed and read the word. My parents' generation were the generation that just got it on Sunday morning and got it on Wednesday night and then eked their way through again to Sunday morning. And, they, and on Monday, Tuesday, except for prayer time on Wednesday night, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, they were devoid of God. And the only diet, the only sustenance that they got was what they were preached on Sunday. And my generation looked at it and went, this is crazy. And half my generation said, see ya, I don't need this crutch called Christianity. And the other half of us started reading the Bible and going, there's got to be a different way to do this. And what we realized was is that our grandparents' generation had it right when they spent time in prayer and they spent time in the Word. So when they came together in a corporate setting, that's why we come together in a corporate setting, because there's a blessing, there's a presence of God that happens in a corporate setting that doesn't happen in an individual setting. Uh, Randall talked about it in, in the prayer time, it, it, Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, where two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So when we begin to come together as Christ followers, God does something in the dynamic of a corporate group of believers that he doesn't do just one-on-one. -on -one. Now, he does other things one-on-one -on -one that he doesn't do in a corporate setting. But he begins to show up, and the word goes on to say that God inhabits the praises of his people. That's the reason why we sing praise first. It's not so the 10-minute miracle happens so everybody can drop their kids off and come into church. Mm, you didn't see how I thought I saw that, did you? And, and come in and sit down. It's because we want to lift high the name of Jesus because the Bible says as we push our praise up, that the presence of God begins to come down. And when the presence of God is in a place, in a corporate setting, that's when things begin to happen. Lives begin to, begin, begin to become changed. That, that's when marriages are healed and, and hearts are, that are broken begin to be put back together. And God begins to do something. And then we open up God's word and we preach God's word. Why? Because it's faith that comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And our faith begins to go up. And then it's, it's a, it is just a kinetic uh, a moment where God can show up in the midst of his people. But unless you come as a Christ follower full of the power of the Holy Spirit because you have a hunger for God through his word and through prayer, it's dead. You ever been to church where it's just dead and dried up? It's because the people are dead and, and, and plucked up by the roots twice. They're dead. I don't care if they've been saved for 30 years. I don't care that their grandfather built the church. They're dead. They're spiritually dead. Paul says they're like Timothy. Paul said this to Timothy. They have the form of godliness, but they have no power. And so you show up in those churches and you feel nothing and you see nothing and you sense nothing and you're bored to tears. And the reason why is because the people of God and the man of God don't have a hunger for God. They just come together in a robotic way in which to fulfill a perfunctory role to check it off that they did church for another week and then go back and live like the devil through the week only to come back on the weekend. Am I getting that out? 
Make sense? And my point is, is that's not what God intended for us to do. God intended that this corporate service would be a celebration, that we would come together and that corporately we'd begin to lift high the name of Jesus and corporately God would show up in our midst and we would, yes, we would experience that, that corporate uh, encouragement that comes with being together, but that's not our daily devotion. That's not our hunger for God. Your hunger for God, your passion for God is a personal journey. That's the reason why you need to have a Bible that you can read and you need to get alone with God and pray, which is simply just talking to God, just like I'm talking to you. And in that moment, God began to show up. And when you have those seasons where he doesn't, he's just growing you. You don't quit, you don't quit eating right, and you don't get off the treadmill because you don't see the, see the pounds coming off. You have to work through that plateau to get to that next level. Jesus said, hey, if you want to get beyond the sensational, get beyond the crowd, you want to become a climber, be committed, you've got to be a person that has a hunger for God. The next thing he says is, you've got to have compassion for others. Compassion for others. Verse 7, you're blessed when you care. Period. That's a declarative statement. At the moment of being careful, see it on the screen. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. So many people in this world are worried about being cared for, but they don't, they're not caring for other people. Compassion. Compassion. Listen, this is something that we have to have in our lives. Because in and of ourselves, we're all stingy, self-absorbed people. Sorry you lost your job. Thank God I didn't lose mine. Sorry you lost your house. Thank God I didn't lose mine. Sorry you don't have the, have, have the money to pay your bills. Thank God I don't, have to, I don't have to deal with that. And I understand there are some people that are, Jesus said the poor you'll have with you always. So there are some people that just never get it. But when was the last time that you were moved by compassion to do something beyond your own realm of responsibility of what really was required of you to do and you went beyond yourself to help someone else? I encourage you to, there's a movie called The Blind Side that just, just came out with Sandra Bullock and Tim McGraw. And, and it talks about a couple uh, from Memphis that uh, took in a young man. Matter of fact, you'll see him if you watch Monday Night Football tomorrow night. You'll see him play because he plays for the Baltimore Ravens. And, and it was just, Tammy and I went and watched the movie. And, and when I was home at, at, for, the, for, for Thanksgiving, my mother was telling me, because the family lives in Memphis, and she was telling me of, um, of the, the ladies on several interviews on local television, this and that, and just how incredible the story is and how awesome it is and this kind of a deal. And we went and watched it because it's about a family who just had compassion. They, were, they just saw a need and they met it. It wasn't the pastor took up an offering. It, it wasn't that there was some big presented need. It was just compassion. You, 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 you moms, dads, take your kids to school and you see kids. You know, by the way they're dressed, there's probably not going to be much Christmas. And you know, by the way they're dressed, that they don't really have a lot. Then why don't you do something about it? Compassion. Uh, you, 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 you see people in your neighborhood or you have friends that maybe there's people that you know that have lost their job. The economy, whatever. 
And they're doing okay. They, they've been in a, in a typical middle class. And, 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 and yeah, they, they should have done this and should have done that. And you don't know where they are financially. But, but maybe it would be behoove you just to be compassionate and do something for them. Because, you know, when you, that happens, you can't afford child care and date nights. And a lot of that stuff go out and tensions go up. Maybe it would just be for you to watch their kids and let them have a night at home by themselves. Compassion. In your bulletin, there's this, there's this angel giving, and I think it's on page four. You go, I don't have any money. Well, great. I'm sure you've got this in your closet. Donate shoes for street children in Ethiopia. Bring your gently worn. That means we don't want your trash. Shoes. Did I just say that? I think I did. Size is toddler to nine, and place them under the Christmas tree on the stage of the auditorium before and after any weekend services. You can see there's people, because these shoes right here will go onto the feet of children. They don't have shoes. I mean, we were cleaning out closets yesterday. I think we had 16 scarves and 30 pairs of gloves and six coats and snow pants and bibs. I mean, there ain't no way my children could wear all that stuff. I thought about just making them wear it all to school one day. It'd be funny, wouldn't it? Because they need more, right? Compassion. Jesus said, if you want to live this blessed life, then quit thinking about yourself. Think about other people. Let me talk to you as parents for just a moment. Because you have a responsibility not just to teach this, because some of this stuff isn't taught, it's caught. But to your children. And we go, well, you know, my kids have a lot on their mind, their children and whatever. I just don't want to burden them with this stuff. Get over yourself. Go to Lowe's and get a ladder and get over it. Your kids see it. They're going to deal with it. How are they going to deal with it? When Anna, my, my, my sixth grader, I take her to school every day, and when she, we, we've been giving her and her younger sister, Ava, we give them allowances. It's a Dave Ramsey deal. It's, it's really great because we teach them that the first, they, the, the first uh, portion of their allowance goes to God because he's their source because we're wanting to teach and train them to be givers, to be tithers, and, and understand that God's your source. I'm not their source. We had that Bill Cosby conversation where your mother and I are rich, but you have nothing, right? I love that. <laughs> the bed you sleep on, I own it, so you don't even have a bed. I can take your door off. I own the door, right? We do that, don't we, Anna? Okay. So anyhow, so um, so the deal is, is that that you know that's God's, and then 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 the second portion is we open up a bank account. You go to any bank account for kids, and they get little prizes and stuff because we're wanting them. You know, the richest man in Babylon. If you haven't read the book, it's a great little book to have, especially have your middle schoolers read because it teaches them how to how to basically uh, become self-sustaining. And to make sure that it's a principle in which you put money into savings and you pay yourself so that you don't ever find yourself in debt to anybody. Because debt, debt, debt is, a, is, is, is a terrible slave master. And then the last thing is, is whatever's left over. You can buy bubble gum and Barbie dolls and I don't, whatever you want to do. It's not that much money, but we teach them. And so she's going into middle school and I said, okay, you know, you're going to get a better allowance. That's the good news. And here's the bad news. Or here's the reality of this. Is that, uh, you know, you need to continue to to bring the tithe, and, and you're in Driven on Wednesday night, you're in, in Student Life on Wednesday night, so you, that's, that's your storehouse, that's where you need to give it. You need to do that. And I, and I always ask her why, and she goes, because God's our source. You know, it's got to be tough being the pastor's kid sometimes. But I had this conversation. I'm not talking about this because you're the pastor's kid. Because my kids know this, and every staff parent know this. If any person in the church ever comes to my children or to a staff pastor's kids and expects them to perform at the same level that I do, they can deal with me. Because they're my children. 
and I will vehemently protect them. And nobody does that. But they don't do that because of that. I do that because I'm a Christian and, and because I'm a Christ follower because I wanted to teach and train her. And so then I said, okay, you're a Christian, right? Yeah, Dad, I'm a Christian. And you baptized me. Do you remember? Yeah, okay, right, okay. Well, as a Christ follower, there's two. The Bible says there's the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment is to love others as you love yourself. And the great commission is to go into all the world. And if you can't go, then you send. So it doesn't matter to me what it is, if it's a nickel a week, if it's a dollar a week, if it's a quarter a week, if it's a penny a week. It doesn't matter to me. You need to pray and ask God and decide what you want to do with the income that you have. What do you want to do for missions? A few days later, we're driving to school, and she says, Dad, I know what I want to do for missions. And so she told me. I went, wow. She said, is that, is that cool? I said, Anna, whatever you want to do is cool. She goes, but is that cool? And I said, yeah. I said, I'd like for most of the adults in the church to give that much money to missions in a year. She goes, this is what I want to do. I said, great. So I brought home an envelope. And I said, here's this blue envelope. You're in church every week. Let me show you how to fill this out. This is what you do, and this is where you put it, and you do this. Because as a Christ follower, you have a responsibility to show compassion to a lost and dying world. I'm not doing that because she's, my, because she's a pastor's kid. I'm doing that because she's my child, and I want her to catch this whole thing about compassion. Because when she does these things, it will literally crush any spirit of stinginess, and it will create a spirit of generosity. And I'll tell you what else will happen. This summer, regardless, she will be at World Impact this summer. Her mother and I have made a decision that every summer she will be going. Her rear end will be on some plane or some bus or some van to the inner city or to a third world country. Because when she comes home to my house after the end of that trip, here's what's going to happen. She's going to realize that not every kid has their own bathroom. Not every kid has a bed to sleep in. Not every kid has a front door on their house. And life will be a little bit different at the cold household. Hmm. I already asked her if I could talk about this. Because I said, it probably stinks your dad being the pastor. Is that kind of weird? Because that would be weird to me. But it's teaching her. And I encourage you as parents, I'm saying this, because sometimes we look at our kids and we just try to shelter them. And I'm telling you, the world is exposing them. And you better speak into their life when it comes into compassion each. You better teach and train them about these things at a level at which they can understand. And and, in elementary, we did buddy barrels. If you don't know what that is, see Pastor Kevin. It's it's where boys and girls are given their change in order to go to missions because it starts and it creates something in them. As they get into junior high and high school, we do Speed the Light, and they begin to get this, and we do mission trips, and those kids go on those mission trips. And I'm telling, and, and let me say this too, I'm saying this, and I'm so badgering this point today, because I spent almost a decade of my life, Tammy and I did, with taking suburban kids on mission trips, and it changes them. I'll never forget taking Tyler Herring to inner city St. Louis. I don't know, what was he, 6'6 six, six at the time? He was 13 years old, giant of a kid. His dad's 6'7", six, 6'10", six, played basketball in college. He went, man, grew up. His dad's an oil executive. And uh, he, he went on this trip. And long story short, it so changed his life that he'll graduate from Bible college this year, and he and his wife want to spend their life serving the children of Africa. And he says, I'll never forget, Aaron, going to that slum in St. Louis and seeing kids that were running around in their underwear and kids that didn't have a front door on their house. And it blew my mind. And I thought, I have all these things. 
I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Compassion, that's what Jesus was talking about. When you find yourself being full of care, you will find yourself being cared for. The next thing he says is be a peacemaker. Be at peace with others. Be at peace with others. If you want to have this blessed life, be at peace with others. Verse 9, you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. Can I just, I just want to camp on this for a second because I'm, I'm, I'm landing the plane. My wife's giving me the, it's done. You didn't know she did that. She says, you're, you're blessed. It's the only service she's been at, able to be at this weekend. And so the other two, man, that was just long. Okay. <laughs> I was tired of hearing myself talk. Okay. But when he talks about this, we as a body of Christ are called to cooperate, not compete. I have friends of mine that won't come to church. Because here's what they say. People in church fight over the stupidest things. And the church of Jesus Christ is so divided. What do you do with denominations? I don't know if you ever had anybody ask you, ask you that. Like, why do you, why, you guys can't even agree on the Bible. How, what do you expect me to, those are hard questions to answer. Honestly, you can't answer them. And one of the things about Life Church is that we have a philosophy here that um, we're not here for, for um, we're not here for other people from other churches to come. We're here to reach lost people. And in reaching people that are far away from God or people that are what we would call de church. Maybe they were at church at one point in time, but, man, they have just walked away or, or they show up for Christmas and Easter. And it's just kind of a religious thing, but there's no relationship. That's what we're here for. And in doing that, you're going to have people from other churches that are going to come in. And some of you in this room, I'm looking at you, and I, you, 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 you didn't get saved. You didn't come to faith in Christ at Life Church. You actually were a Christian, and, and either because you moved here or because you felt God leading you, but whatever, you came here. And we're glad for that, and that happens. I, I, I've seen God do that. There are seasons where we will see many, many people come to faith in Christ, and it seems like then there's seasons where existing Christ followers will come in. They're mature believers, and they link arms, and we're able to, to, to do the work of the, uh, of the gospel together. And, and I have a philosophy, and we have a philosophy here, that, that there's no fences in the kingdom. The Bible says that we as people in the body of Christ are like sheep, and he's the shepherd, and the pastor would be like the under-shepherd, and and uh, just there serving directly for him. And, uh, and, so, and I've always thought it odd that there are fences in the kingdom, uh, that, that uh, God doesn't put those there. God doesn't see us as Life Church and First Alliance and Stony Hills Presbyterian. He, he sees us as the church, and you're either part of the church or you're not. That's the reason why I have no problem if you go, dude, I really don't like you, to go, that's okay, you don't have to like me to get to heaven. But let me help you find a place that you will like. Maybe you want someone that's more intellectually astute than I am. Then go to Stony Hills Presbyterian because Bruce over there, the pastor of the church, he's a Princeton grad, and he has forgotten more than I'll ever remember. Jason Esposito at First Alliance, God's using them to do some great things. I don't know if you've seen, but they're under construction, and God's doing some great stuff at their church. And, and there are just churches on and on and on in, this, in our area that I could talk about, and pastors that are just doing a great work. And my point is, is that there's no fences in the kingdom. And so our job here as a church is to, is to this world, to the people outside these doors, that they see that there's, there's peace and there's unity. Have you ever been to a fighting church? It's horrible. It doesn't reflect the image of God. It's not his desire, his will. And God's desire is that we cooperate, not compete. That we learn to love and get along 
even inside the doors of this church, even with each other, because he's talking with this group of committed climbers. He's saying, look, don't compete with one another. Learn to get along with one another. Learn to play with each other's strengths and weaknesses. Learn to help one another. We're a team. We're a family. We're all fighting on the same side. And even when the 70 came back and they said, but we heard that there are people baptized in the John the Baptist. And Jesus said, look, if they're not against me, they're for me. Quit showing all these little differences. And let's just all play, play ball on the same team and all just get along. And so I would say as a pastor, and just kind of a pastoral word, that if you're here today and you'd say, man, I'm looking to, I feel like it's time for me to change churches or whatever, blah, 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 blah. If you want to come here, you're welcome to be here. Just don't rearrange the furniture. You're welcome to come to the party, but don't change the place settings. Make sense? We, we, we don't have fences. You're welcome to be here. And if we don't work for you, great, that's fine, no problem. And if you feel like that God's moving you on somewhere else, you know, let us know so we don't bother you with, hey, where are you? We're missing you, showing up pastoral care. But, but be blessed. Because this isn't about Aaron. This isn't about life church. It's about life change. Jesus didn't die for life church. Jesus died for life change. He died for the church. But we're just one body of believers. And our responsibility is to, is to, to, to cooperate, not to compete. And I'll tell you, I, I had a guy a couple of years ago, a family that came into the church, and, and he had his own ideals, and we were trying to be very compassionate and very passionate about just working with him through some things. And, 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 but it began to become more and more and more, not just visual to us as a staff, but to people in the congregation that there were issues. So Pastor Ryan sat down and talked with them, and, and he, that he wouldn't hear of any of it, and it was why, you know... And sometimes people come and they're like, well, our other church, we did this. And our other church, we did that. And our other church. And sometimes you want to say, well, why don't you go back to your other church? I don't mean to be mean, but really, if it was so good, go back. Right? It's just us. We can talk. And again, I don't have, you don't even have blanks on your outline. You don't even know where I'm at today because this is a standalone message. <laughs> and so finally he insisted. So I said, okay, we'll sit down and meet and talk. And and um, so we talked and trying to be compassionate, trying to work through. And, and he just said, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, I, I don't understand this and this and this. And we tried to explain it. And it just was of no avail. And, and finally he said, yeah, I just feel like you're watching me. And I called him my name. I said, you're a Christ follower, right? You came to Christ, faith in Christ before you came here, right? right. And I said, I'm, an, I'm, I'm the shepherd under Christ for this flock of people, scripturally speaking. So my job as a shepherd is to protect the sheep. That's part of my job, according to God's word. And so anytime someone comes in of a sheep of another pasture, my antenna is going to be up at first. Just I just want to meet you and get to know you. Great, awesome. And 99.9% of the people that come in like that, they're never a problem. They come in, they're joyous, they're wonderful, they get plugged into ministries, their family get plugged in. It's awesome, it's wonderful. It's part of God's plan, part of God's kingdom. There are no fences in the kingdom. Now, I'm not going out and proselyting people. I'm not trying to get other people to come from other churches. That's not my intent at all. I, I focus on the lost but if there's other people that are found that come, great, fine. Here's a place. Here's some work gloves, and here's a, here's a shovel. Let's, let's get digging. Let's go. We got, we got work to do. And, uh, and I said, so, yeah, my tenant's going to be up. And, and I said, look, let, let me explain it to you. Let me bottom line for you. The Bible says that there's three people that call themselves sheep, people that call themselves Christ followers, there's three categories. There's sheep, there's goats, and there's wolves. If you're a sheep from another shepherd, from another pastor, you're welcome to be here. Because you're going to graze in this pasture. That's good. You come here, big family, all that stuff. That's awesome. Just don't rearrange the furniture. If you're a goat and you come in, have you ever been around goats on a farm? They just cause problems. 
if you've ever been around a goat, but th- there's not a whole lot of productivity with a goat. I'm just going to tell you. If you think about farming with goats, yeah. If you think about goat milk, just use the cow milk. It's better, right? I mean, there's just not a whole lot with, and goats come in, and they cause problems, and they, they, they mess everything up, and they just stir it up and stir the sheep up, and goats and sheep don't go together. They just, they don't peacefully coexist. So if you're a goat, I'm going to call you out for what you are and move you on. That's my job as a shepherd. I said, but the Bible says there's a third category called the wolf. He's a predatory animal. His, his objective is to come in and to slaughter the sheep and to hurt the sheep. And as a shepherd, if you are a wolf, I will kill you. <laughs> Ryan looked at me with eyes about that big because I had done everything I could to help the guy. We love you. want you to be a part. We try to get you. But you're either a wolf, a sheep, or a goat. And I would tell you, if you're a wolf, we're going to take you out. If you're a goat, we're going to point you out and lead you somewhere else. And if you're a sheep and you want to be here, then you're welcome to be here. But our goal and our objective to this world is not fighting and competition. It's cooperation. Whether it's with inside this body or with another church in this area, you won't hear me shooting at other pastors and other churches and other people. Even if I disagree on the fringes, the, the, the centrality of the gospel is what we agree upon. And that's what Jesus said. And the last thing he said is this, and I close. Your faith provokes persecution. If you're going to live this blessed life, your faith is going to provoke persecution. Verse 10, you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even even deeper into God's kingdom. Verse 11 and 12, not only that, but count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you or discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort, that they are uncomfortable. And you can be glad when this happens and even give a cheer. For, even, for, for though they did not like it, I do. And heaven applauds. And know that you're in good company because my prophets and my witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Let me ask you a question. That when I read that, the Holy Spirit asked me, not audibly, but just through the word. Do you have a faith and a commitment of faith in Jesus Christ? That provokes persecution. Because if I don't, and if you don't, we're not living the kind of faith that he talked about. And go, well, what do you mean? I mean we're, in, we're in America, the land of the free, the home of the brave, and there's no person. Listen, we all live in the real world. And when you draw certain lines in the sand, you go, this is wrong and this is right. This is sin and this is permissible. You're going to garner some some friendly fire, at at least. And what Jesus Christ said is this, that your faith should be a faith that is strong enough, that's solid enough, and that's out there enough that you're going to have a few people that may cut you off. You're going to have a few people that may disown you. You're going to have a few people that are going to talk some trash about you. You're going to have some people. They may not kill you. They may not tar and feather you. They may not burn you at the stake like they would do in other countries, because you realize in the world that we live in today, there are people every 24 hours in this world that die for their faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, that, that, that's just a known fact across the board. We have churches and countries in this world today that you cannot become a credentialed pastor unless you've been in prison for your faith. Because they don't feel like you're worthy enough to preach the gospel. 
But I understand we don't live there. We live here. So what does that mean? That simply means that my faith has got to be out there enough. Not, not Listen, I'm not talking about that you're awkward, that you're weird, that you're ostracized. But I am saying that there are times where you stand up for what you believe in. There are times where, where you go, this is not right. There are times where, where you find yourself in those positions. And in those moments, you basically just say, hey, this is what I believe, whether it's popular or whether it's not. This is what I'm going to do whether it's popular or whether it's not. This is who I am, whether it's popular or whether it's not. And I just have a question. When was the last time your faith in Jesus Christ provoked persecution? My prayer for you this holiday season as a pastor is that you move beyond the sensationalism of miracles, and they're needed from time to time. I'm not, don't misunderstand, I'm not discrediting that. But that we will all move from the crowd and take the climb of the committed to sit at the feet of Jesus and live this blessed life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your word.